I mean, and the best example I always give is this was five years ago. So 2018, you weren't allowed to have a Sony Walkman on the floor. <laughs> right? I mean, that's... Because you'll get made fun of for having right? a Sony Walkman. <laughs> Not even an iPod. So Jason, we're traveling here to Tulsa, and I'm thinking, who the heck is driving this thing? I'm not driving. Well, neither am I. So we got a problem. And I'll tell you what, I'm never driving when we're on a road trip together again, because the first time I did that was a total disaster. Why? What did I do? Oh, you got to change lanes here. Oh, am I bad Oh, you're going driver? a little bit under the speeding limit. Yeah, speed up. Go with the flow of traffic. Next thing you know, I'm pulled over on the side of the road getting a ticket. Yeah, there you go. Well, and that's what happened. Mike's in for a treat then. Yeah, let's do this. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. Welcome to Making Chips. As manufacturing leaders, we go through seasons, seasons of struggle and seasons of celebration. But if you are connected to a community of leaders, you'll be equipped to make the most of the peaks and you'll be inspired to move quickly through the valleys. What you will hear is not just our opinion. It is the battle testimonial and advice of a manufacturing leader just like you. So listen up and take notes. Welcome to Making Chips Seasons. So welcome, guys. Here we go. Yeah, this is this the is first cool. of Making Chip season, and we have our inaugural guest host, Mike Payne from Hill Manufacturing and Fabrication. Mike, here you are. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we should explain a little bit. What's a guest? What's a guest host? And how did this whole idea originate, Jason? Yeah, so... Making chips is about the community. And I really felt that it was wise to bring more and more voices to the table in order to equip and inspire the manufacturing leaders. And what a better way to do that than to hand the microphone to them and say, you are in control. You're driving. You're taking control of this podcast. And we want you to bring your guests on, people that are important to your manufacturing company, and make them Yeah, we want that hosts. perspective. We were deciding what to call this new era. It was either going to be seasons or perspectives. And the reason for that is it's been, what, 350-something episodes right. of just our perspectives. Exactly. And so now it's like, all right, well, let's we don't want to make it about us hosts and hear about what their perspective is and have them bring their guests on. So Yeah, I always kind of joke around that it's kind of like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette meets manufacturing. It's like, we're giving the rose to Mike and... And at the same time, we're handing him a microphone and saying, hey, we want to hear from you and what has made an impact in your manufacturing business. Accepting a rose? Absolutely. <laughs> Mike, will you accept this rose? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, why did the perspective of Mike Payne jump out at you as one of our first Well, I hosts? think Mike is a great first guest host because Mike, you've got such a unique perspective. You didn't grow up in the manufacturing business. I mean, you've seem like you've done this your entire life, but you haven't. I mean, you were in M&A. You had just this broader business experience. I think you own like you're like a shareholder in a restaurant, right? Was or you used point, to be? Yes, okay. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, so you've got so much broad business experience that like if there's something that's even not related to manufacturing, I feel like I can kind of tap into your brain and get your perspective and you just bring a lot of a wealth of knowledge. 
that you don't get from someone who all they've ever known is just being on the shop floor. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But again, this is about seasons. This is about different perspectives and bringing people together who really just can equip and inspire and bring that unique experience to the table. So let's kick it over to Mike. Hello. Welcome. Thank you, Nick. Yeah. So in Tulsa, you kind of like the man of Tulsa. <laughs> I'm starting. <laughs> not even close. I think you said yesterday, like, there's not really a manufacturing deal that gets done in Tulsa without you knowing about it. <laughs> that is probably a true statement. But no, I'm not the man of Tulsa. But I have been very fortunate to do a lot of things, as Jason alluded to, and spend a lot of time in a lot of different industries. And I think that is, I think that's always been one of my strengths is being able to hear all the time, well, we don't do that. Yeah. You bring an idea that maybe is relative in construction or something like that. And you say, well, why can't we do this? And people in manufacturing might say, well, that's not how we do things. And when you ask why, they can't answer that question. Yeah, right. right. So, and maybe it is a good idea or some hybrid of that idea and you bring it forward and hopefully move your company forward. Yeah, yeah. And so I wanted to say thank you for the tour yesterday. I got to see uh, all the shops that you had going on. And as you were giving me the tour, you were telling me some things that were bothering you. If you show up today, I think you might still have a chip on your shoulder. Yeah. What's the chip on your shoulder, Mike? I do have a chip on my shoulder. So coming out of 2020, obviously, I think most of us listening to this or involved in manufacturing had lots of struggles and a slowdown. And then things picked up really quick, which requires a lot of cash. And we work with some very large OEM customers and that constant struggle of cash flow with your AR and your AP. So we might be running four to five week lead times and but getting paid in 90, 120, maybe 150 days. Oh, I lost that invoice. Yeah, right. right. There's just this constant struggle where we've got so much outstanding right? That that's that growth capital we need to continue to grow and maintain through this uptick in our industry. It's all sitting out. We're banking our customer. So just managing that cash flow and making sure everything's perfect because I'm sure as everybody listening knows, I mean, you know, if you have a proof of delivery that's not perfect, yeah. then you just delayed getting paid by 30 days. Yeah. Right. Especially with the large OEMs. Yeah. So you took your net 60, net 90 days to 130. Sometimes with the bigger customers, it can feel like a double standard. If you're ever late by five minutes, they're all over you. But then when they're late paying you, it's like, that's just how we do things. Yeah. You need to be a good partner. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that bothers all of us. And this whole chip on your shoulder thing is something we're going to continue with. So Yeah, absolutely. So without further ado, Mike, why don't you introduce what we're talking about today? So we've talked a lot. I think everybody's dealing with kind of this labor crisis. And I know throughout making chips and we've talked a lot about automation and how whether it's robots or even your ERP system, whatever might help you manage through these labor shortages and passing along tribal knowledge and all those types of things. Those are all great like technology that can get us there, but we still have to deal with people. Right. And what we find in our local market and you know, Nick and I, we met with another manufacturer yesterday that talked about one of his top guys going to his customer to work. Gave us two weeks notice to go work for his customer. That's his chip on the shoulder yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I guess it's better than going to your competitor. Absolutely. But in our case of a job shop, a fairly decent sized regional job shop, we work with large OEMs that can offer amazing pay and benefits and so forth that maybe as a 30, 40, 50 person machine shop or 10, you can't do, right? right? So one of the things I wanted to do is talk about how we've addressed that, which is we're using a PEO, which is a professional employment organization that allows us to kind of leverage a larger platform of benefits and pay and HR, just HR management that lets us kind of compete at a larger level than we really are. Nice. Okay. I like okay. it. So did you bring a guest today? I did. So my guest today is John Scoggins. 
and he has spent 25 plus years in HR management. And maybe two years ago, three years ago, three years ago, three years ago, yep. started off into PEO. So welcome, John. Thank and you. John, tell us a little bit about what a PEO is. Yeah. Sure. Welcome, John. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What is a PEO? What Professional is a PEO? Employment Organization. Is Professional that correct? Professional Employer Organization. Employer Organization. Employer. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Really simple way to look at a PEO is PEOs, if operating appropriately, become a single source solution for all of these different things that we have to do as employers that aren't really necessarily connected to our core competencies. You know, we start a manufacturing company, you start adding employees, and then you start adding responsibilities specific to those employees. So the way PEOs operate is we grab literally every non-revenue centered function that an employer has and give them a resource that allows them to push those functions out their front door. Okay. So a manufacturing company like Mike's, they've got people who know how to operate lathes and mills and they know how to fabricate and you're not interested in the specifics of that. That has nothing to do with a PEO. It's all the stuff that every manufacturing business has to do from an HR perspective. It is. Yeah. PEOs across the board typically touch four key business functions. Payroll and tax administration, our highest touch point. So like an ADP or a paychex or a paycom or a paycor, we process payroll and provide all the related tax administration associated with running a payroll through a company. HR and compliance. HR is a very broad term. So the HR from looking at things that could potentially insulate the assets of an organization if something were challenged in a court of law or by a regulatory body. So ongoing compliance initiatives, the core things, the transactional HR things, that we have to have in place as employers, things like employee handbooks, job descriptions, down to the little things like the required postings on a break room wall. PEOs can provide resources to help true up those things. And honestly, for most employers, until you get to a certain scale, it doesn't make sense to allocate the resources necessary to hire full-time HR. And what PEOs do is they provide those resources. They give them those people resources, those compliance resources that they need to make sure that that side of their business business is where it needs to be. Employee benefits is another touch point with PEOs where we're bringing economies of skill and things like HR and payroll. We're bringing economies of scale as it relates to employee benefits. So in a PEO environment, employers are pooled together. So we're as a small employer, we're entering the marketplace with 25, with 50 employees and trying to source benefits. We talked about keeping people, having that chip on your shoulder about someone leaving your company to go work for a competitor for another nickel an hour, for another benefit that you might not necessarily have. PEOs pool employers together to give small employers access to big company benefits out in the marketplace so that they can attract, and maybe in this market more importantly, keep the ones that they have. And then we can dive into lots of other things, employee onboarding, workers' compensation insurance, lots of different things, but all of those kind of necessary evils that we have to contend with as an employer. So it sounds like you're kind of working as the back office of if you were part of like a larger conglomerate. So like you were part of like some holding company or some absolutely larger company and you had all those resources there, you guys are providing that for a fee. Yeah. And if you look at all the different functions independently, almost anyone you talk to, they're doing those things in some way now. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of it falls on the owner to do it. It does. That's not what they're specialized in or yeah. good at. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Right. Or they've got it piecemealed out. If you look, so almost everyone outsources payroll now. They're 
using. Right. There's every, you can open the door and throw a rock and hit a payroll company. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of them that are out there. And then you have a relationship with an insurance agent that probably handles your employee benefits. It's right. probably not the same person that handles your workers' compensation insurance. It's probably not the same person if you happen to have a retirement plan that handles that part of your business. PEOs just consolidate all of those different resources into a single point of contact. So you've got one person that you call that handles that full HR-related side of your business. So it's the easy button. If it's executed properly, it's just the easiest way to be an employer. So taking a specific example, you'd mentioned onboarding. So like, how exactly does a PEO interface with a manufacturing company in order to help with onboarding? Yeah. So the onboarding experience is pretty important, right? It's your first connection point with your new employee. You want to make sure that they feel welcome and that they feel safe in the decision that they've made to join your company. So obviously it varies widely from one company to another, but a lot of times PEOs incorporate technology to bring in a very big company feel to smaller employers when they're onboarding new hires. Jason, I'll address that from our personal experience. Okay, great. And I'm sure a lot of manufacturers can relate to this, but our previous onboarding experience was their first day. You clock them in and you go put them with the person up front to fill out all the paperwork and get all the documents done. Yeah, they show up at eight o'clock and you're like, oh crap, I had an 8.30 meeting. I'm sorry, I forgot about that. (laughs) Right. So now when we make an offer, we get their email address, we send it to... Disclosure, we use Thrive. That's how we know John here. We send a name, an email address, and a pay scale to John. They send them a link. All their paperwork's done when they show up on their first day, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they get a nice welcome email. Welcome to Hill Manufacturing. Click the link below to begin your onboarding experience. And then everything that we typically have to capture in the way of paper as employers is done in this very efficient, very modern way. There's an app, right? There's an app for that. It's like, man, (laughs) Hill has an app. Right. I didn't realize this. I thought it was just like an Oklahoma machine shop, but they got an app. Absolutely. So a lot of those sound like your normal payroll benefits that you can get as well. Like I think I have some of those onboarding stuff, like the checklist and stuff like that through my payroll. How do you go beyond that? So my payroll company, they don't do an employee handbook and all these other kind of things, or I can't go to them if I have an HR question or if I have a comp claim or something like that. So how is that different than with the PEO as opposed to just a standard payroll? Yeah. So using a PEO can be a lot like drinking from a fire hose. There are a lot of different touch points. And depending on which functions you turn on, PEOs can get involved with a lot of different things. You mentioned workers' comp claims. If a company is using a PEO-sponsored workers' compensation insurance coverage, then a lot of times a PEO will capture a lot of the responsibilities specific to helping keep your employees safe. And when someone's injured, getting them the care that they need and managing the claim through the process. So using our company as an example, if someone's injured, we're connecting with the employee and with someone on the management staff almost immediately. We're actually directing the care to a local provider. We're preparing and filing the first notice of injuries with the carriers. And then we're staying in constant contact with that employee as they go through the entire process with the goal of getting them back to work as quickly as possible. Yeah, that sounds like something where if you weren't a big enough company to just outsource that to HR, which I'm sure in a lot of companies that they had an HR department, they would take care of that. But for somebody like my size company or your size company, Mike, that would probably kill a couple days at least. Absolutely. If not a week solid from a mindset standpoint, am I doing everything correctly? I got to make sure that this person is taken care of. He just slice off the end of his finger or something like that, whatever else that injury is. And that could really make an impact. Absolutely. Hey, Jason, what's the first thing you think of when I say the word setups? 
You're not making chips. <laughs> yeah, that's and you're right. not making money. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the biggest battles that can hold you back as a manufacturer. Absolutely. So enter the Lean Setup Guide from ProShop. Okay, what's that? This guide can help anyone, whether you're a ProShop user or not, but ProShop users have experienced a 50% reduction in setup time because the software builds these lean principles into their process. Yeah, so it's a totally free download. You can go to ProShopERP.com slash 50 and you can get your copy of the Lean Setup Guide. Bam. I'll go on a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but when we first purchased Hill a little over five years ago, one of the first things I did is I read the employee manual, right? And because I wanted to see what expectation we're holding customers to or to our employees to. And it wasn't in line with what I wanted at all. With your values. Frankly. I mean, in the best example I always give is this was five years ago. So 2018, you weren't allowed to have a Sony Walkman on the floor. <laughs> right? I mean, that's... Because you'll get made fun of for having <laughs> right? a Sony Walkman. <laughs> Not even an iPod. Right. I mean, so it was I'm so... I'm that you even know what a so, Sony Walkman right. is. <laughs> Can I take us down an even further rabbit hole? Sure. So Sony just reintroduced the Walkman. Really? I didn't no know that. So I just saw a video about it. It's become this like really audiophile device. Okay. It's obviously it's all digital, but it, they introduced the Sony Walkman as this like kind of like for lack of a better word, a music device like an iPod, but for somebody that is really into sound. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Uh, no, yeah. Yeah. Just my two cents since you mentioned that. Right. So I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, well, we obviously have to update our employee manual, right? There were things that were not in sync with the culture I was trying to build. And it was obviously very outdated. That's the story of the Walkman, yes. right? Yes. So, but as a business owner, just buying this company and trying to get it to where I wanted it to be, where did the employee manual fall on my priority list? Oh, it's one of those things where you're like, I know I have to do it. I don't want to spend my time on it. Absolutely. Who wants to do that? Yeah, exactly. Nobody. Well, you guys do, John. Listen, <laughs> except for I. Full disclosure, if I actually had to sit and do the work, right. I understand. specific to preparing yeah. an employee handbook, I might not be in this business. Right. But the beauty of when we made the switch over to using a PEO and Thrive specifically was they have an HR professional that maybe two years ago now, I handed our employee manual. She had their standard we matched them up, edited, and now as part of the onboarding process, everybody has to read that, sign that they've read it, and it lines up with the cultures and values that we're trying to create as a company. And now my employees can't say, well, I didn't know that, or it's not consistent with what we do. You had to have like the change in the idea behind adjusting the handbook, and they helped you execute on it. You didn't have to go through and like take I didn't have to do it. anything. Right. Really? I mean, really? I gave him my notes and I gave him my well, That's what I mean. Like, you yeah. just had to give right. him notes. Okay. Gave him got it. And here's another specific example that you had mentioned before, Mike, is, and we've talked about this on Making Chips before on a previous episode. I think this goes back to like probably 2020 or something like that about marijuana. So how do you stay up with those local regulations? Can you get marijuana from your PEO? No, that's not what I mean. I, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> what I mean is that's a sticky subject it is, because literally. when it becomes legalized, maybe you know more about it than you ought to. Nick. <laughs> I never inhaled. Okay, okay. <laughs> maybe you can mention something about that, Mike. Yeah. So, I mean, regardless of how you feel about it, you have to deal with it. Right. So we didn't know how to deal with it. And that was kind of the genesis of finally saying, okay, we've got to deal with this employee manual. It is here. It is real. It is something we have to deal with. So what do we have to do from a regulation standpoint versus how do we feel as a company standpoint? Right. And, and then they can I combine those together, I imagine. 
I had no idea how to navigate those. The scary thing is that the regulations vary from state to state. Medical marijuana is relatively new in the state of Oklahoma, and we have manufacturing companies all over the state that are dealing with this issue. And it's and diff- to- very different in Illinois. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's totally everywhere. wide open uh, where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. So incorporating policy, determining what your position is as company is important because I can't tell you how many instances where we've had, where you've had it like a workers' comp claim or some sort of trigger that results in a drug screen and you've got a key employee, a long-term key employee that's an integral part of what you do every day that tests positive for marijuana. What's your position going to be? Do you let that one guy go? And what can it be? Yeah. Right. So that was my sticking point is this is now a law, right? So there's things I can and can't do as it relates to this subject. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, tell me if this is a scenario. Let's just say you caught somebody and you knew they were high. Could I literally say, you know what? Let's call him Bob. Bob, I'm disappointed because you know how I feel about this. I need you to do X, Y, and Z, and I need you to talk to, let's just say, talk to John and go through the motions as to how this needs to be handled according to our employee handbook and from a legal standpoint in the state of Oklahoma or the state of Illinois or wherever else you are. Is that how you would handle it? Yeah. Where you're kind of like outsourcing that whole thing. You know what I mean? You can. We actually have clients that bring us in anytime they terminate an employee. So you see a Thrive car pulling in the parking lot. It's going to be a bad day for somebody, right? So it really, really depends on the scenario. That's always a tricky one. The law is pretty clear in Oklahoma, specific to how marijuana works in the manufacturing sector. We use language here. Almost everything that you do back in a shop is considered a safety-sensitive position. Of course, yeah. As long as you fall within a safety-sensitive category, if you test positive, you go home. Not a lot of leeway, right. So I wanted to bring it back to this whole economies of scale thing, because Jason, it actually reminds me a lot of your business. We talk about like the mega empire distributors that are mm-hmm. publicly traded. And right. Of course, they've got all this volume and, and scale. Yeah, like we compete with Granger and MSC and, and Fastenal and, 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 and all right? those people. Yeah. So, but then you've got something kind of similar with. Oh, yeah. What do you call it? AD? Yeah. So we're part of a group called Affiliated Distributors. It's a 10 times by volume bigger than Granger, at least. And we pull a lot of our resources together, particularly our buying resources. So like, for example, when we buy a particular brand of tooling, we're actually, in order to get economies of scale, we're actually pulling our resources together in order to negotiate and form relationships, more importantly, that are more like a bigger company, but then we bring it down to a, like a local market. So, so it's kind of like the best that, of both scenarios. Right. You can still have that intimate personal relationship mm-hmm. with your clients like Mike here. And then, but you can make the same claims like, yeah, we have the buying power of an MSC. Yeah, exactly. And then we also have the intimate relationships on the local level with those partners. Drawing the parallel back to the PEO thing. So the buying power the economies of scale that you're able to do by pooling all the small guys together to make one large thing that can compete. Can you explain, are you able to get as competitive as big aerospace company? Yes, in some instances, for sure. Almost any sizable PEO that you would deal with in the marketplace can make employers of almost any size look like a Fortune 500 company specific to benefits. If you look at your largest competitors, you mentioned Granger. Anything that they're offering to their employee population, most PEOs can go toe to toe with those things. So when you have those instances where you have employees that are considering different options in the marketplace, you have those things to keep them sticky and in place. So absolutely. Better, more affordable health care, expanded ancillary benefit options, anything and everything you could expect to find in the largest employers in the country you can access through a PEO. Yeah. So and obviously there's alternatives to the PEO. A lot of people aren't on it. 
Right. So, I mean, what are the number one reason why people choose not to do it or what yeah, could you, go wrong? You took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, yeah, what are the downsides sure, of that yeah, PEO? Yeah. Good one, Nick. Yeah. So I think you have to be careful with it. Like just any business decision that you're making to make sure that it's right for you. It's not a fit for everybody. But for those that consider it, the results can be pretty spectacular. Gives you a resource that dramatically reduces the amount of time that you're spent on these things that don't make us any money because you're getting access to the HR resources that become available. Fairly significant reduction in employer liabilities and business risks, insured governmental compliance. Who's going to complain about access to better, more affordable benefits? The positives absolutely outweigh the negatives, but you should do your research. Make sure you like yeah, the so, people I mean, that you're going to Of course, you're biased, with. right? You're a PEO sure. guy. So Mike, like, obviously you've chosen to go this route. So you agree with John, but what would be a reason or what would be part of your consideration on, I don't think I'm a fit because John even said not everybody is one. So when I look at the group of companies we have and that decision, maybe there's like the false sense of security of managing your own HR processes, right? I could see that different entrepreneurs and business owners being like, ah, I just really need to have this under control myself. Control. Yeah, it comes down to control. Right. Uh, I get that. And that's inherent in an entrepreneur and a business owner. Absolutely. That you Especially a manufacturing one. We're, we have a, we can do this ourselves right. culture in manufacturing. Well, you guys got that. We've talked about that before. Well, I mean, a yeah. lot of But a lot of them do. do You're right. It's like, hey, I know how to make that part. Yeah. Right? So you don't buy it and you make it. It's kind of like that. I just spent 10 times more money, right. but I We talked about it. that last night. <laughs> yeah. It's right. kind of like that engineering mindset. I've had that discussion. And I mentioned this, Nick. I've gone into clients before to sell them end mills. Yeah. And special form tools. And they're like, oh, well, we make them ourselves. We have a grinder. I'm like, do you? You're really good at that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's more like, why? <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. You like break it down. Like, you just spent 10 times but more. But that whole sense of control, exactly, sure. is like very inherent in manufacturing. You're right. <laughs> I would say, so, I mean, I'm not any different than any other entrepreneur, right? I mean, I'm like you said, it's inherent to that entrepreneur. You want to have control. You want to do things yourself. Yep. Making the leap. I would say I probably feel now I have more control of my HR than I ever did. And I have support. I mean, that's what you hear entrepreneurs talk about all the time is, man, I don't have anybody to talk to, right? Like I'm, I'm on an island. It's lonely at the top, right? You've heard all those things. And so you're sitting there making decisions that are HR related that affect people's lives. You maybe have a lot of liability tied to them, those types of things. And I'm going to give any entrepreneur the benefit of the doubt. They're trying to make the best decision, but that doesn't mean they're making the right decision, right? So I have support from John and his team to make the right decision, not only for me, but for the employee, for the company to hopefully, I mean, any HR issue, none of us want to deal with HR issues on a daily basis, right. except maybe John, since that's what he does. <laughs> or but, John's team. <laughs> right. <laughs> but those are never the fun days. So having support and people that are knowledgeable and experts in their field has been, I have more control now than I did before. Having another set of eyes and ears on the HR side of your business where you're absolutely in control, you're still hiring and firing and making those decisions just like you always do. But having another person to say, hey, look, here's the scenario. I've got this employee in my office, tenured person need to let them go. Here's what I'm thinking. What do you guys think? Right. Before we pull the trigger and potentially end up in a litigation of some sort or even an unemployment hearing. Right. So, John, I've got one final question sure. before we have to let you go. Sure. 
The Thrive Truck is in the parking lot. This is your exit interview, John. Someone's getting (laughs) let go here. (laughs) So obviously, you guys are a business. You have a business model. You're trying to make money. Is there a way that we can cost justify this that we can say, okay, this is actually going to cost us less than if we were to try to do it on our own? Or is it always going to be more costly than trying to do it? That's a great question. Engaging a PEO is typically never a financial decision. Okay. Almost for 30 years now. And I've worked with some of the largest PEOs of the country. Almost any PEO can get within 1% of any employer's existing cost of the good or the bad. Okay. So really? Wow. Wow. If you look at the net value proposition of a PEO, it's going to make sense. So from a dollars and cents standpoint, and obviously we're not talking like soft costs, we're talking hard costs, you're probably going to be right around the same price as what that cost you're center is for you now. budget neutral or better. We okay. work with employers all over the state of Oklahoma that we're saving real money. I mean, I can think of a 90 employee manufacturing company based right here in Tulsa where the net financial impact of their company for engaging a PEO was a savings of about $300,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So it just really depends on the group, depends on how you you've got things set up now depends on the needs and what you want to accomplish in the future. But PEOs work. The numbers work. Yeah. So what if I'm an HR leader at one of these manufacturing companies and I'm thinking, is the Thrive Truck in my parking lot right now? Are they going to hire a PEO? And Am I gone? How do you work with the HR teams that are already at these manufacturers? In 30 years, I've never displaced anyone. HR and a company, if it's done appropriately, it's more strategic. How do we communicate with our people better? How do we improve our company culture? It's not how do we write a new employee handbook and how do we comply with Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Act? So in instances where you have existing HR people in place, you're just eliminating the transactional part of what they do on a daily basis so they can be better at what they do too. Yeah. And I imagine the manufacturing leader a lot of times has to get involved in these things and his burden rate from an hourly standpoint is the most expensive of anybody's. So you're definitely going to save some money there from an opportunity cost standpoint. Mike, any closing thoughts before we let John go? I would add to what Jason said, just from a real life example. I mean, we realized our first year with a PEO about a 5% savings on total payroll expenses in hard costs. Soft costs, I couldn't put a value on. Right, My time, my team's time dealing with HR issues. What do you want to multiply that by? My shop rate that yeah, that's that I true. wasn't doing something else? Great. And it would be 20% probably. Yeah. Well, John, it's been a pleasure. Thank Thanks you for, for coming to me. Making yeah. Chips and giving us a new perspective. For sure. And Mike, I think you nailed it for your first interview. So thank oh, you for great. that. Thank yeah, you. your first co-hosted episode. But yeah. one thing that we have to do as hosts is we have to break down the show and we break it down yeah. the same way every What'd time. What'd you learn, Nick? Yeah. So it's kind of like the whole theme of making chips really, right? So there's strength in numbers. There's a community where there's other perspectives. Like great. Mike's I here, love that. Where it's like, maybe you're not the expert on, we use marijuana law or whatever it is. You're just or, fixated on marijuana, aren't you? Well, not so much anymore. I've matured <laughs> quite a bit, but it's like, what are you the specialist in? Focus on that. Yeah. Even amongst manufacturing leaders that did grow up in this industry, there's always something that like you're the guy for, you're yeah. the expert in. So like, Focus on those things. Surround yourself with the team at your company and the partners to support your company so that you can be specialized in whatever it is that you do really well. Yeah. That's my takeaway. That's good. Mine is, is that I really do have control problems. And just thinking (laughs) through this. Yeah, I know. (laughs) That's why I won't drive you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I do have control problems and I need to think about how I can give up some control. And this is making me think about it. So yes, we're talking about PEOs, but I'm thinking more big picture. And maybe, you know, John and I already talked previously because Mike connected us. And so I've got some information. I got to get back to John in order to get him a proposal for this. I've got an acronym for you. Oh, more acronyms. Wonderful. What is it? 
It's the IBE, the industrial buying engine. It's the newest innovation by the team at Thomas to help you grow your industrial business. You know, I know a thing or two about the industrial buying engine. You can drive more revenue by reaching the 1.5 million verified buyers on Thomas. It's a streamlined three-step process. First, you message buyers. Second, you quote projects. And third, you get paid. The industrial buying engine is accessible from the company's ThomasNet dashboard. Get your free profile today at thomasnet.com slash claim to get started with Thomas and the industrial buying engine. And we're going to sweeten the deal. Our listeners get a 25% off annual subscription with the code CHIPS25, C-H-I-P-S 25. So in closing, again, thank you, John. Mike, you did a fantastic job. Thank you. If you like this episode, if you like what you hear at Making Chips, the best thing that you can do, because we will not accept your money, if you send me a check for $500, I will send it back to you. Or he'll send it to Nick, who will accept your money. (laughs) (laughs) Nick will take it. Go on to Apple Podcasts, go on to Spotify, go on to all the popular podcast players and rate and review. Give us five stars. Tell us how great we are and let us know who your favorite host is. If it's me, if it's Nick, or if you just love the fact that you don't have to always hear Nick and I and you have I now. It's the guest host. It's probably host. It's, it's probably Mike. Yeah. So, and if you're listening on a brand new Sony Walkman, <laughs> let us know how good we sound. <laughs> there you go. Mike, so, Mike, how do we end this? Well, so if you cannot attract and retain machinists, you are not making chips. And if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.